And now we flip to the B side. Good morning. I'm Mia Lobel, and you're listening to B Side. This month, we present people caught on tape, whether they like it or not. From childhood recordings to less than subtle phone messages. I hope you burn in hell forever. Hey, tell the devil hi. Bye, jackass. We've got some truly classic recordings as we take you to the B side. At some point in our lives, most of us have done or said something that gets caught on tape. Some of those recordings get lovingly filed away with old report cards and baby pictures. Others are stuffed into a bottom drawer where we pretend they don't exist. Eventually, some of these tapes get lost in the shuffle, and some of them make their way to places like Urban Ore, a giant dusty warehouse in Berkeley where you can buy and sell almost anything. Besides Dave Gilson, Lissa Mudd, and I went there in search of some of these lost recordings. Inside, we wander past buckets of doorknobs, old appliances, even a sleeping cat. I don't think he was for sale, but you never know. Feeling a little lost, we ask for help. Hey, excuse me. We're looking for um, used audio cassettes. Arts and Media, north uh, west corner. Stacked on rows of old metal bookshelves are hundreds of used CDs, eight tracks, and records. Aha. Here's some cassettes. Echo and the Bunnymen. Old Depeche Mode. Cornell University, what's this? Hidden keys to loving relationships. Four essential elements every relationship needs daily to succeed and grow. Well, I found (laughs) some stuff over here. Here's one that just only has a phone number on it. And then in back it says, Jerry Mata, Uh 797. I think maybe it's an answering machine tape. Hi, Mike. Where are you? Where are you? Call me back. Call me back. Are you going to give me a call? I hope so. I love you. Goodbye. We don't normally think of answering machines telling a story, but the messages recorded on Mike Newdow's answering machine tell dozens. You may not know him by name, but you've probably heard of him. He's the guy who took the Pledge of Allegiance to court to remove the words under God and won. Ever since then, he's been in the glare of the national spotlight. B-Sides Dave Gilson met Mr. Newdow and brings us this audio portrait of the man at the center of the controversy. When I showed up at Mike Newdow's house in Sacramento, he answered the door wearing nothing but a pair of shorts. We went into his office, where he started banging away on his computer while I tried to interview him. He'd already done dozens of interviews, and his answers seemed rehearsed, and the phone kept ringing in the background. Newdow said he'd gotten a ton of phone messages since the under-God decision came down. That caught my attention, and after I heard some of the messages, I realized that what these people had to say was just as interesting as anything Newdow had to offer. Yeah, I just wanted to give you my opinion on this situation. It looks like you're just a real publicity hand. That's all you're really suffering, I guess, for a lot of publicity. Uh, 
you know, if you really want a lot of publicity, why don't you maybe go out and commit suicide or something like that and free your daughter from some jerk of a father? Uh, that would make more sense to me. Get rid of a jerk. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> you sick son of a bitch. I hope you burn in hell forever. Hey, tell the devil hi. Bye, jackass. Um, I don't usually make these kind of calls, but I just knew that you were getting so many critical hate kind of calls that I thought I would tell you that there are people out there who really admire what you've done and support it. And I don't understand why not believing in God is so threatening to those who do believe in God. I've never understood that. So I just wanted to tell you that. Um... Yeah, Dr. Newdow, uh, I'm a 59-year-old farmer. I believe 100% in what you did. I, apparently you've got a lot of enemies, but uh, I think you did the right thing. Thank you. You will be remembered in a very negative light. You will be hounded. You will be tagged as anti-American. You are a pathetic soul. You have never fought for this country. You've taken advantage of our country. I regret to say, sir, that you are a traitor. Hi, Mr. Newdow. This is Debbie Berger calling from CMN's Crossfire. Mr. Newdow, it's Christina Jameson with MSNBC in Washington. Mr. Newdow, hi. My name is James Hattori. I'm a reporter with CNN. Hi, Mr. Newdow. My name is Lisa Katz. I'm a producer for... You you are the most hated man in America. Will you hurry up and take your imbecilic dumb ass to hell? You take your ass back to hell where you came from, you dumb son of a bitch. My name is Amy, and I happen to be in San Francisco this week, and I'm just tickled that the newspaper has your name on it. I'm sorry, I sound like an idiot. And I'm just doing something really weird and calling you, and I don't even know if you're the person that I think you are. But my the cell phone number is 267. I'm a <clears throat> 17-year-old high school student, and I just want you to know that I really support what you're doing. I am... Um, I can relate. I mean, I used to get dirty looks when I wouldn't stand for the pledge and things like that, and I just really applaud what you're doing. I want to know if there's any way I can help help this cause. I, want to... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, you sick son of a bitch. The amazing thing is, Mike Nudow hadn't even heard most of these messages. Then, he's not the kind of guy who really cares what other people think about him. But he clearly thinks his answering machine tapes are worth keeping for posterity. So he just shoves tape after tape into a big envelope and lets the phone ring off the hook. For B-Side, I'm Dave Gilson. God bless America. Back in the urban or arts and media section, the B-side crew finds a tape labeled Small Talk Number 2. One. Hi, Mary. How's your mother? Two. She's fine, thank you. How's Bill? Three. He's fine. How are the children? Four. They're fine. How's your job? Obviously, someone out there thought it was important to teach people the art of small talk. 
But one person we caught on tape clearly did not have the benefit of that lesson. Emily Mudd tells the story of a suitor who skipped the small talk and decided to lay it all out in a voicemail message. My name is Emily Rome Mudd, and a while ago I was in a health food store in New York buying some face lotion. And suddenly I feel this warm hand fondling my face. And it's this man who's probably twice my age, and he says, So, what do you need that for? And I think I said something like, My face is dry? We make small talk for a minute, and he pulls out his card and he gives it to me. And I look down at it, and it says he's a colon hydrotherapist. And I think for a minute, and then I realize... This man gives enemas for a living. Hmm. So he comes up to me again right as I'm about to leave the store, and I know what's going to happen. I know he's going to ask me for my phone number. And the whole entire time I'm thinking, don't give him your phone number. Say no. Just say no. And the next thing I know, he asks me for my phone number, and I say yes because I don't know how to say no. And so I'm writing it down, and I'm thinking, just change a digit. Just change a digit. Just one. Just one. Like the last one, you know, a two to a three, something like that. But I just couldn't do it. And so I realized I was just going to have to not answer my phone for the next couple days. And luckily, I didn't answer my phone because this was the message that came. Hey there, Emily. This is uh, Dan calling. Listen, here's the story. They say that it's in a man's nature to like to chase, to be the hunter, and I guess that's true in a way. I enjoyed uh, tracking you down the other day and at least connecting with you for a few brief moments before you left, but I'm not going to keep chasing now. I'm very busy, and I have a very successful practice, and I'm in school, and I have a really great life. Um, I met a number of people last Sunday, but as soon as I saw you, I knew that I wanted to meet you. Uh, you're very beautiful. The thing is, though, that I meet a lot of very attractive women, and for the majority of them, um, that's where it stops. It's very rare these days to meet someone who has the inner beauty to match the outer. Um, but I'm looking to meet someone who's sweet, not a bitch, who has a good heart and soul, and who's honest and uh, adventurous, uh, who's creative, loyal, and loves to give and receive pleasure, and have lots of fun, of course, too. Um, I don't know if you're that kind of person, but I'm willing to find out. Um, I want to know who you are under the surface and see if you're the kind of person I'd like to spend time with. I know this is a very long message, but this is where it's at for me and the kind of person that I am. And if you're up to it, then call me. Talk to you. Bye-bye. After I got the message, I thought, how can I respond to this guy? I mean, I can't really risk talking to him and calling him back. But if I could, here's what I'd say. Hi, Dan. I like being hunted. It's so primal. I like feeling like prey. Here's a few things about me. I meet a lot of attractive men who don't fondle my cheek, and I only receive pleasure. And you know, I can be a bitch. But I'm not that mean, and I didn't leave the message. But I still have his phone number, and I always could. If you lost your girl. Emily Mudd does not enjoy the hunt, and she's doing her best to avoid creepy men in New York City. 
This story was produced by her sister and B-side crew member, Lissa Mudd. Disappointment's an unavoidable fact of life. Hi, Diane. Hi. I got the tickets. What tickets? I thought you wanted to go to the concert. No, I said I'm going to the concert. I've got tickets. Oh, maybe we'll do something on Saturday. Um, I don't... Not this Saturday, of course. I mean, I'm really busy this Saturday. I was thinking about maybe next Saturday at 6.30. 7? No. How about 8? Tuesday during the day? No. You're listening to KALX 90.7 FM. Stay tuned as on the record, flips to the B-side. You're listening to B-Side. I'm Mia Lobel, and this month we're bringing you stories of people caught on tape. The song you just heard, by the way, is a little number called Bounce Back. Compliments of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and one of our favorite finds at Urban Ore, a Berkeley warehouse filled with tons of used furniture, appliances, and audio tapes. Scanning through the arts and media section, Dave Gilson, Lissa Mudd, and I find some recordings that give us unexpected glimpses into people's private lives, like on this tape from Little Rock, Arkansas. It's an honor and a privilege to be asked to share at any gathering of Al-Anon or AA members. I think that uh, it's very fitting to get up and to tell you that I love you because you have meant a lot to my life. You Not far from this tape, we find a mix labeled Alina, Anything for You, Love Ken. Oh, that's a love mix. You know how when you make a mix like that, you like put all your heart and soul into choosing the songs and the order they're going to go in and like the significance of each one? I wonder what Alina and Ken would think if they knew we were, you know, in this, you know, store of junk listening to their... And maybe she dumped him not long after the mix was made. Oh, I mean, God. I hate to think of my old mixes ending up in some junk bin somewhere on sale for a quarter. What would people say about me if they found my don't-make-fun-of-me 80s mix or the video of me as a singing cavewoman in my fifth-grade play? Chances are no one is going to find those. But besides Tamara Keith, probably won't be so lucky. She was a child actress, Hollywood style. She was six months old when she got her first job modeling for a department store ad, and by the time she was eight, she'd been in more than 30 magazine ads and a TV commercial that aired during the Super Bowl. There's really no hiding that kind of exposure. I think of this chapter of my life as a bit of an oddity. I don't even feel like I'm talking about myself right now. It's like that child star is a totally different person. My knowledge of this time comes through faint memories, my parents' endless stories, and a couple of dusty videotapes, like this one labeled Tamara Coast Soap. You can pick up any soap, but can any soap pick you up? My job was to sit in a bathtub full of bubbles with another little girl and look cute. It doesn't seem that complicated now, but my mom says it took hours. You weren't a very nice girl that day, and so you wouldn't comply with what the director asked you to do. So they pulled you out and put you in the dressing room, and this other little girl stayed in the water in the tub all day filming. And then at the very end, um, you beg the director, oh, please, I am so sorry. Can I please go back in? So they let you go back in, and you were so cute that the poor little girl who'd sat in the tub all day didn't get used at all. Here comes my line. Let's hear that again. 
Listen closely. Wow! Very like it too! Oh, oh, That first little wow you hear was me. The rest of the commercial was other kids. My bad behavior on the set of the Coast Soap commercial apparently wasn't that unusual. My dad says I was never the easiest kid to work with. Sometimes with the print work that you did, you'd give them two or three good shots and you were done. That was it. If you haven't got it yet, you're not professional enough to work with me. So I was a bit of a prima donna? I'd say. But being a child star wasn't as glamorous as you might think. There were cattle calls, auditions, and callbacks. Every interview required dressing up, having my mom do my hair, which was hell for both of us, and sitting in gridlocked L.A. traffic for hours. The long car rides gave me awful headaches. And this may sound silly, but I missed seeing the premiere of the cartoon She-Ra because I had to go to an interview for a Cabbage Patch doll commercial. It's a big deal when you're six. According to my parents, the idea behind my early career was that I would pay my way through college by acting my way through elementary school. But most of the money I made went to pay for headshots, cute little dresses, and tiny dentures to fix my gappy smile every time I lost a tooth. In the end, the acting money only paid for one semester of college at a public university. The truth is, my career was never really about me. Your mom and I both had degrees in theater, and neither one of us could get a job as an actor to save our souls. And so uh, since we had somebody that could actually get the work, it was kind of fun to see that. And and your mom and I both enjoyed uh, going on the set with you and uh, working with different people and so forth. I think if the truth be known, we were living through you. And in a way, I think that's okay. I'm not one of those child actors who've grown up to resent their parents. I'm glad to have had the experience, and I'm also glad they let me quit when it was time. What ended my career, exactly? We decided that your career was more important to us than it was to you. And your agent said, she really doesn't want to do this anymore. But we didn't believe her, so we got you another agent. And after you worked for that agent for a while, we finally realized that the first agent was probably right, that you really didn't want to do it anymore. The biggest role I ever landed was also my last. When I was eight years old, I got a speaking part on the television drama The Judge. The show was about a custody battle between my TV parents. My mother was agoraphobic, so she was afraid to leave the house. The big suspense of the episode was whether my mother would be willing to appear in court. Halfway through the show, the judge calls for a recess, and my TV aunt goes into the hallway to call my mom. Mom's attorney leads my sister and me out into the hallway to wait. Please, please don't be there. Well, there's no answer. She's She's coming. coming. She's coming. I told you. She's probably on her way right now. Maybe. Or maybe she's just not answering the phone. In case you missed it, that was me screeching, She's coming. She's coming. In unison with my TV sister. After the commercial break, my mother shocks us all, overcomes her agoraphobia, and arrives in court. Clara! Well, I'll be damned. The judge rules in favor of my TV mom. We all hug, and the credits roll. And with that, I said goodbye to television stardom. 
Shortly after I filmed The Judge, my family picked up and left L.A. I started fourth grade and started a new life. I never looked back. Then seven years later in my high school chemistry class, a student I didn't know very well came up and asked me if I had ever been an actress. But she already knew the answer. Apparently late at night on some random cable channel, she saw a little girl in pink overalls squeak, She's coming! She's coming! Then the judge ruled, the credits rolled, and my name went rolling up the screen in big, bold yellow type. Tamara Keith is B-Side's senior producer. As humiliating as these preserved moments on tape can be, there's something sweet and revealing about listening to our earlier selves. Besides, Emily Gunnison recently dug up a tape labeled Funny Stuff, Private, Keep Out. And today, it hits the airwaves. One Sunday afternoon, my sister Anne and I found an old handheld tape recorder, and we made a radio show. Anne was 8 and I was 11. Our parents were avid public radio fans, so we called our show Everything Real Bitter named after its more famous NPR counterpart, All Things Considered. Stay tuned for Everything Real Bitter, the greatest radio station alive. We named our host Beacon Hughes, a conveniently androgynous figure who we both played in a variety of voices, ranging from the ultra-high-pitched squealer to the deeper authoritarian with a suspicious accent. I'm Beacon Hughes. I am Beacon Hughes. Thank you, There were tragic news events like hurricanes and a fiery racetrack collision. Anne reported on the damage. Houses were knocked off and stripped miles away. Stables, horses flew in them, too. Tarrytown was a place where a hurricane hit. We had interviews in which I played the difficult and stubborn guest. How do you feel about singing? I hate singing. I think it's a waste of time. Why do you do it? I don't. That's my evil twin sister. Well, could we get your evil twin sister to come? No. Why not? Because. Because why? Because I said so. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us. See you later. Some of our best moments were during the barrage of advertisements that came between our news flashes. Apparently, commercial-free public radio hadn't caught on at everything real bitter. Come to Sideburn City, the haircut barn. Open all weekdays from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Go in looking like a shaggy dog and come out looking like a professional model. Located on Sperry Road in downtown Brownsley. Anne and I worked on our radio show on and off for a few months. But in the years since we made that tape, I've listened to it about a million times. For whatever reason, I just can't get enough of it. It's like all of our childhood memories are encapsulated on that one tape. Even though we were pretending to be beacon hues and obstinate musicians and obnoxious salespeople, we were so us. Beep, beep, this just in. I'm sorry. Ann Gunnison is going absolutely crazy, hitting herself with a microphone and everyone else. <laughs> I like being able to hear our youth played out like that. I always want to think we were so much more polished and sophisticated than we really were. And our show is such a reality check. You can't argue with tape. Ah, ooh, 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 ooh. Ah, ooh, ooh, ooh. 
Even 15 years later, there's such a preserved sense of a Sunday afternoon, and listening to those voices brings back memories of all the other afternoons that were just like the ones on our tape. There was this doomed sense of knowing we had so much homework, but we still wanted to play with this tape recorder instead. I'm glad we did. For B-Side, I'm Emily Gunnison. Well, Anne, you know as our show is only half an hour, could you just sing for us right now? Yeah. I love Texas, any part of Texas. I just want to be in Texas. All I like is Texas, 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 down in the west, Texas. Thanks for coming. I enjoy, I'm inspired by being here. Thank you. Goodbye. That's all for this month's edition of B-Side. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lisa Mudd, Claudine Zapp, Caitlin Kim, Sarah Neal, and Gavin Tachibana. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. I'm your host, Mia Lobel. Thanks for listening. B-Side will return on October 30th with a show about extreme sports. In the meantime, On the Record returns October 16th. To learn more about B-Side and see pictures from today's show, check out our website, bside-radio.org. That's the letter B in the word side-radio.org. Music